Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come before your throne in Jesus' name, and we ask that you would guide this time, that your spirit will work as your spirit always does, that we would be moved to imitate your son, that we would have your scriptures open, and that we would allow the words of scripture, the, the wisdom of the ancient past to form us into people today who could be used by you to bring your kingdom, Father. Lord, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you that you have covenant and fellowship with us. We thank you that your uh, mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I often struggle when it comes to putting the teachings of Jesus into practice. I was in the car driving a friend home and she was explaining to me that she was ready to forgive someone who sexually abused her. And I was struggling because there was a part of me that's like, I know that's the way of Christ. I know that's the way of Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do. And yet in my heart, I was like, that abuser doesn't deserve this kindness. That abuser doesn't deserve this mercy. That abuser needs to be someone who um, experiences justice. She was young when the abuse took place. She was maybe 10 or 11. And that tainted her in so many ways. It, it just really affected her. She went and got therapy. She, she became a faithful follower of Jesus, and she was experiencing healing. And this was the next step in that healing, is approaching the person who sexually assaulted her and say, I forgive you. And this was a family friend. And her kindness scandalized me the whole ride. As she was talking to me, and she was like, man, it's only because of Jesus I can forgive. It's only because of Jesus I'm able to do this. All I could think is, you don't have to forgive, right? <laughs> and, and, and she's just, just, just pouring out her heart and how grateful she is that the Holy Spirit has transformed her. And all I could think is this is so scandalous. <laughs> this person is walking away scot-free. I would call the police on this person. They would experience justice. But instead, she chose to show grace. What was impacting me? You see, we all swim in a cultural moment. Our culture is shaping us consistently and forming us consistently. We can read the scriptures every single day, and yet we come back into the culture that we're ubiquitous in consistently, and it is having a huge impact on us. See, what I was operating with is a, what many people call karma. You do someone wrong, you do them back wrong. So I was like, this person can receive forgiveness and can receive mercy only after justice was done to them. And it wasn't until I felt like it was okay and it was all right, then that person could receive justice and forgiveness. We all swim in that pool of karma, especially those of us who are more progressive in our ideology. But there's another law at work for some people, and it's law. It's like, what is right? What needs to happen? Who cares? Forgiveness, mercy, kindness, those things have no place in terms of right and wrong. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we operate under a different operating system, which is challenging. And yet, Christ has called us to live this way. You know, time and time again, in our society, we see conflict because these working ideologies of karma and law going back and forth. You know, we, we are in one of the most intense and hostile environments and resentment. At least on social media. I think in my day-to-day -day life, I don't experience any resentment. But the moment you go on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, if someone's upset about something. And maybe I follow all the wrong people. Um, okay, it isn't just me. But 
you know, we're in this moment where everything is just so charged. You can't, you really, it's really hard to be a light online and experience it. And it's, a lot of times that creeps over into what we think of people in our day to day. Many of us want people to experience justice, but I think too often we want that justice apart from the Christian narrative that speaks of a great kindness that is coupled with that justice and mercy. Let's go to Genesis chapter 33. You know, in, in the story of Genesis, we get one of the most epic stories in all of the Bible, honestly. This is a story of Jacob. It's a redemptive story that I think we can find our story in this story. I think many of us know a Jacob, have been a Jacob, will probably be a Jacob. And, and I pray that this story can be a reminder for us on what it means to follow the way of Jesus. Genesis chapter 33. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and two female servants. <clears throat> he put the female servants and their children in front. Leah and her children next. Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob and they are the children God has graciously given your servant. And the female servant and the children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herd I meet? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, but Esau said I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has, God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I will accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows and they are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I will move along slowly at the pace the flock and herd before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and Seir. Esau said, then let, let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkot, where he built a place for himself and made shelter for his livestock. And that's why the place is called Sukkot. So it, it, it's one of the more interesting stories because Jacob the night before was just wrestling legitimately with a spiritual being. He was like, put that dude in the headlock and then the spiritual being popped his hip and he was just messed up. But he was wrestling all night with this spiritual being. And what did he want from this spiritual being? He wanted a blessing. He wanted a blessing. And we're going to get back to that term, the blessing. But Jacob was seeking a blessing in a forceful way. This is not abnormal to Jacob's story. 
His whole life is getting what he wants in a very forceful and deceitful way. And so in this moment, as he's wrestling this spiritual being, he understands because right before he encountered this spiritual being, he got word that his brother was out there. And he, he sent servants to talk to his brother. And they're like, he's coming with 400 people. He's like, oh, man, now the roost has come home. And so he ends up wrestling with this spiritual being and begging for a blessing. And what he ends up getting is a messed up hip. You know, in verses one through three, Jacob is seeing his brother approach and he sets up the camp in such a way that he's like, I'm showing my brother all the amazing things I have. So just so my brother understands that this could be yours. Like it, it all could be yours. This, this, these, these animals, these blessings, these amazing things. I want you to have it. Now, why was Jacob doing that? Jacob was doing that because he was terrified. He knew. He was fully persuaded. I am going to die unless I can make right what I've made wrong in the past. Mm-hmm. You see, Jacob is operating in what um, John Barclay calls an obligation, an obligation, re- reciprocity, where if I do something for you, you have to do it back for me. So he was like, I stole your blessing. I stole your birthright. But if I give you all this stuff, maybe you might spare my life. You see, in today's social context, that's how karma works in so many ways. Where you're like, man, if I do this and I do that and I do this, maybe you would treat me right. Maybe a positive outcome would happen. You know, on social media, you always see someone say, I'm putting positive vibes out there. There's never someone out there, negative vibe, hashtag negative vibes. <laughs> that's because we would all unfollow them. We don't want their vibes if they're negative. But he wanted to put out positive vibes as his brother was approaching. He wanted his brother to know, like, I know I did you wrong, but here, here's all the amazing things. Even in this unique moment after wrestling this spiritual being, Jacob still is doing what Jacob does best and trying to get himself out of a tricky situation. You know, I grew up with the mindset of karma like I mentioned before. You hit me, I hit you back. You know how difficult it is as a Christian parent to not do that anymore? <laughs> you know, Stephen, Stephen gets clunky, smiling, ha, ha, ha. I'm like... <laughs> but Stephen's smiling because that's good. You know, we want Stephen to be a man of peace. You know, and that idea is baked into the scriptures. Eye for an eye, two for a tooth. There's so much of the Mosaic law that speaks. If you do this, this is going to happen to you. It is baked into that karma works. Like Proverbs in so many ways, it's deeply Eastern. It's Jewish. It's that but it resonates so much with people who believe in karma. Proverbs is like, you are wise, you get blessings. You do this, you get that. And so this idea of karma and doing the right thing, Jacob right here is trying to gain favor with the quote-unquote universe of his brother and say, take all these things, and in return, just let me live. You see, why is it baked into the scriptures? You know, I wrestled with that throughout the week as I was doing different things. Like, why did God put in eye for an eye, two for a tooth? Why did he put in this sort of retaliation? Why did the book of Proverbs make it in the Bible? Like, it's built off of this idea that you get what you deserve in this life. And maybe some of you are like, that's just how life works. That isn't how life works. Trust me. No one in here has gotten what they deserve consistently. Sometimes you have. But most of you consistently have not gotten what you deserve, but why did God in his infinite wisdom place that in his holy scriptures? Esau Macaulay, um, he says something that I, this stood out to me, and I think this is, this is it right here. Seeking to limit the damage arising from a broken world. 
The reason this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the reason why there's certain teachings in scripture that kind of promotes this idea of karma, it's to train a people before the Messiah can show up to really show them what it means to be an image bearer. And so it was kind of put in place, like Paul says in Galatians, as kind of a tutor to prepare you for the Messiah. And that's really important because sometimes we can read scriptures in the Old Testament and say, I'm going to imitate Jacob. Really, whoever we should be imitating is always Jesus, guys. Moses kills people. Jesus doesn't. You see, karma falls short because karma is never, it just doesn't know, it doesn't have the ability to show grace. You see, the million dollar question with karma, is it fair? There's no way to exact fair judgment on most situations. They're like, oh, okay, I blind you, you blind me. But depending on what kind of job I have, you may be probably made it much worse for me because I'm blind. Like as a minister, I kind of need my eyes. But let's just say hypothetically I had a job where I didn't need my eyes, like a dog walker, a dog that can see. And so, you know, the, the, the judgment isn't fair. Like you can't blind me because I kind of need to read, but you could blind a dog walker. Like, it's never really fair. Karma is not fair. And that doesn't transform the world. It doesn't produce life in this world. Many of you are familiar with the term cancel culture, where someone does something wrong. Usually it's a celebrity, and they're done for, you know, their career. Usually mid-tier. If you're really high in the celebrity ladder, Cancel culture doesn't exist for you either. Because you got believers and you got the beehive. You got all these different groups that's like, no one can bring you down because we'll protect you. For those of you who don't know what cancel culture is, welcome to 2022. And do the Google search and find out before you get canceled this week. Um, but yeah, cancel culture lacks redemption. Oh, gosh. I could say something in 2012 like, Oh, all Patriots fans are doodle heads. They're going to look up my past posts on Facebook, see what he thinks about New England people, and then I just get booted out of here, man. Back to the sunny state of Florida. (laughs) Everyone dislike everything I do, tear up my Bible, (laughs) but I get out of here. That's just the world we're living in where there is no redemption in progressive circles. And I don't want to pick on them, but that group in particular is supposed to be known for the high compassion. And yet, once you make a mistake in that atmosphere, you're cut off. Mistakes don't exist. You have to be perfect. And so how do you, how do you swim in that water? You never say anything. You just end up being a lurker. You're just like, I'm not going to engage in anything because this is going to be taken out of context. And once it's taken out of context, I'm going to lose my job. <laughs> but that isn't the life that Christ called us to. Even if the world cancels people as followers of Jesus, we need to be way more nuanced, way more compassionate, and we need to believe in a narrative arc that provides redemption. You see, we do this in our relationships as well sometimes. You know, some of us are like champions at cutting people off. You know, someone says something wrong to us, we're like, I'm never talking to you again. I'm going to unfollow you on social media. I'm blocking your number. You're dead to me. Some of us are like that at jobs. One job messed up just once, they're like, hey, can you come in at this time? I hate this place, it's dead to me, gone. Instead of being a, a redemptive presence in that place, like, hey, let me transform, let me bring the kingdom in this area, we run. Bad reviews. I think bad reviews are important. You know, we gotta protect people. Truth telling is a huge thing in building up society. 
But man, some of these reviews are yeah. brutal and personal. Yeah. You're like, okay, you don't like number two pencils. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> but as followers of Jesus, we are called not to live in karma, but to live in kindness. Our culture is telling us that's how it works. That's how it's supposed to be. We don't believe that narrative because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Verses 4 through 11. You know, verses 4 through 11, when Jacob finally sees Esau, Esau, instead of hitting him with a weapon or starting a conflict, hugs his brother and embraces him. He loves him. He shows him that brotherly affection. The only thing I believe, Jacob, just based off this narrative and, and, and studying different commentaries on it, I believe his thinking is, how do I make sure that this is right? Because Jacob has played tricks on people before. And so he might be thinking, Esau's doing the same thing. He's playing a trick. He wants to know where I'm going to stay, and he's going to kill me. But if I can make this right, then he won't do it. There's something called the Humor, the humor Robbery Code. That is an ancient Babylonian law code. It was around the time, a little bit before what we call the Torah. And so it was this idea that there were codes that were already out there similar to the Torah on how people ought to live and how people ought to behave. Why do I share that? Because there was a moral baked into the community that more than likely Jacob and his family understood and were familiar with. You see, Esau ignores the initial gift. So what is Jacob trying to do here? Jacob is trying to do retribution or restitution in this moment. He's like, I'm trying to make it right. I'm trying to make it right. There is a law that prevents you from going too far. I'm trying to make it right. And Esau ignores it. He says, I already have much. I already have plenty. I'm okay. You know, Esau got his birthright taken. He got his um, blessing taken. And then his parents kind of didn't like his girlfriend. And so he went off into the, the Netherlands to go get married. He had, it seems like he had a rough situation going on. Now, Jacob re- also went through a really rough patch as well, being with his um, father-in-law. He ended up marrying the wrong woman, but then he married the right woman right after. And then he married two other women, kind of sort of concubine situation, complicated in the Old Testament. Um, and so Esau's situation seemed to have turned out well. He's like, I got what I need. I don't need this. And yet Jacob wasn't fine with that. Jacob was trying and fighting really hard to practice Retribution and restitution. I mean, who wouldn't, right? You got 400 people with you. Like, if it was just Esau, I think he may have been cool, but he's like, why do you have 400 people here to greet me? Like, if you come to my house with 400 people, and you're like, I come in peace. I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm talking to you from the other side of my door lock. Like, what's going on here? Peace is one person. Now, I don't know why 400, I couldn't find out. That's a mystery for you guys to unpack in your own personal time. But I couldn't find out why 400 people. But there were 400 people there. And so Jacob in this situation is like, okay, how do I make this right? Retribution or restoration? Retribution. I committed a wrong. I took your blessing. I took your birthright. I want you to take all this stuff. It seems like he's even open for him to take in all the kids except Rachel and um, Joseph. He's like, everyone else, you're all on the platter. My brother can have you. You can take the animals. He's really trying to make it right. Because that would have been Esau's birthright. 
that sort of lineage, that sort of blessing. So he's like, you could take it back. We're good. He wants to make restitution. He's like, come on, man, just take something from me. You see, he was trying his very best to appease his brother's anger. Even though his brother was absolutely, seems happy to see him, they cried together, he was trying to appease his anger, which is very normal and very natural when you don't have a healthy relationship dynamic. You see, the law that he was trying to appease, that was his way of making sure he had nothing to fear. And yet, we, we all know, especially those of us who have kind of a law-oriented, you know, you're a rule follower, like you follow the rules. When you follow the rules, you get some sort of confidence from it. You know, you're like, everyone needs to stop behind the stop sign, even if it's 3 a.m., dead at night, nobody's there. And the stop sign slams. He's like, nope, I'm going to stop right here. You know, you're playing a game by yourself, and you just need to get to the next level. You make sure you don't cheat. You don't go online and find out how to get to the next level because you're a person of integrity. <laughs> Law tends to provide some sort of security, but it becomes this baked into it, performance anxiety. When you have to follow the law, it becomes performance anxiety. You know, the same thing happens to law when you're just a consistent law follower. You're wondering if you broke the wrong law or the right law because you might get in trouble. You know, that happens to us consistently even in our walk with God. You know, most of us in here are aware, like, okay, I don't need to follow the 613 laws in the Old Testament, even though it's actually not 613 laws, but whatever, I don't need to follow that. We understand that, but you know, there's certain standards we even have as a fellowship that we're like, if I do these four things, God is gonna be okay with me. If I have a quiet time, if I confess my sin, if I come to service, if I give my offering, and if I share my faith. I did these five things, God must love me. And when you don't do these things, you're consistently wondering, am I right with God? If the Lord came back today, is he going to? And you're scared because you're like, God, just take my offering of my awesomeness so you could be happy with me. And what was Esau's response when he saw his brother? It was already love before he even offered anything up. This is a preemptive story of atonement for for the Christians. That God is like, I'm already loving you. I'm already ready to connect with you. And you're like, but no, 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 no. You really don't love me. You want to connect with me until I do the right things. Until I offer the retribution. Until I offer um, restitution. You know, I I remember as a young Christian, I would sin and I would go do ten righteous things. To tilt the balance. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I lied. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share my faith with five people and I'm going to give this brother $20. though he didn't ask for it. That was expensive, and that was tiring. I learned to be more honest over time. But in this situation, instead of karma, he was trying to operate off a law. Now he was like, okay, I can't get him to just take these things and turn around, but maybe if I do the right things, I can guarantee he won't harm me. He won't do me um, wrong in any sort of way. You see, perfect love drives out all fear. He didn't have perfect love with his brother, so he was baked in. I keep saying baked in because I want you guys to understand that this stuff is deep in the culture we're swimming in. That he was scared because he didn't have perfect love for his brother. He was terrified. You see, Jacob couldn't trust that his brother was actually showing kindness. You know, some of us grew up in low trust environments. You know, family members have broken our trust consistently. Friends have broken our trust. And so you're always suspicious when someone does something nice. You know, you probably live by the mantra, oh, nobody, nothing. 
you know, do it yourself. You'd be dying on the corner. You know, there, <laughs> there, there's my, my mom, amazing woman, she loves me completely. I, she never asks for help. She doesn't. We could be completely, don't know what part of a tire we're trying to buy for our car or whatever. She's like, I'm going to figure it out. It's so funny that in the future, I end up marrying someone just like that. <laughs> I just, I'm just attracted to that. <laughs> Which is good, because Jules has actually helped us a lot in a lot of areas where we didn't need the help. But there's sometimes we do need help, but... It's baked into, I don't want to owe anyone because what if they expect something from me? Can I trust that people are going to do right by me? If I go to the person at Walmart, what if they give me a tire that's way more expensive than it should? Like we can compare prices. It doesn't matter. You see, Jacob in this story is learning a lot about himself. Sometimes we think, man, if I have a night of wrestling and prayer, if I have this deep moment, this deep spiritual moment then God has answered every single thing. It, isn't, it takes that moment with the angel and a moment with his brother to really learn a lot about himself in this moment. It's coupled. Sometimes we try to uncouple it, but it's coupled. You see, Jacob was embracing or, or being confronted with kindness. Jacob's entire life up to this point was about acquisition. Jacob wanted the birthrights. He got it in a forceful way. His brother was hungry. He's like, trade your birthrights. His mother helped him get his brother's blessing. He wanted Rachel. He got deceived. And then he turned around and deceived his father-in-law with the, the situation with the flock. And then he sees this angel and just assaults the angel. You know, angel's minding his business. And he's like, come over here and let's fight. And then he fights this angel. and get, So his whole life is about acquisition. And what did he learn in this moment? His lifestyle of acquisition only filled him with anxiety, fear, and made his life filled with a bunch of threats. Because it wasn't the stuff that he really needed. What he understood when he was fighting the angel was, wow, I saw God face to face and I lived. He didn't really, really understand until he had this, this, uh, this uh, encounter with his brother. Once he had this encounter with his brother, he says, it, I see that God was being favorable to me. You see, Esau showed his brother remarkable kindness. He says, I already have plenty. Esau didn't come for conflict. He came for unity. Robert Alter points out um, in verse 10 that what's happening in Genesis 33 is a redemptive expression. The word gift that Esau uses here, take this gift, is the Hebrew word for blessing. And that is the same word that he took from his brother with the help of his mother. And he's like, take it back. You can have back your blessing. I don't want it. The other thing he learned here, which activates kind of Genesis chapter 2, the, the tree of life in a moment, was when he was wrestling with the angel, he's like, oh, my life was spared. And then when he's here in front of his brother and he's like, you were favorable to me, he's like, I get it. This is how I choose life. Life is not about the stuff I acquire. Life is about the relationship dynamic that I have with God and what I have with people around me. Like, he, that was the tree of life right there. In this moment, he's like, oh, this is what it means to have life, right relationship with people and God. It was nothing about the stuff. You see, God's kindness leads to repentance. He's, I mean, Jacob's story turns completely around from this moment on. I have grown up fully persuaded that God's wrath would lead to repentance. It does it. For some people, it can help you short term. 
You know, like, you keep doing that, you're going to burn. You're like, oh, gosh, I'm stop. And then eventually you, you get numb. I had to get numb, like, I'm not scared of hell anymore. I know I'm going there, so might as well enjoy the, at this point, for my sake, 40-plus years less. You know, you're not scared anymore. Or you're like, man, I just live in constant anxiety, and so when people say God is love, I don't feel that. I just feel anxiety. That God is anxiety. You see, kindness is also baked into the Torah, baked into the scriptures. God's loving kindness. And it was made manifest plainly in the person of Jesus. You see, Esau showed kindness to Jacob, and it helped him. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about an apocalyptic moment. It helped him have an apocalyptic moment. He got to see it wasn't about the stuff. I was fighting hard for the stuff. I didn't want the stuff. What I want is life. You know, that takes a long time. Some of us spend our whole life realizing we don't want stuff. You, you spend your life trying to, man, I want the house, I want the wife, I want this, I want the husband, I want this, I want that, I want this. And then you get to one point, you're like, really, I actually don't really want any of the stuff. I want this life that I have, and I want these meaningful relationships. But that's something that you can't rush. You know, you just take, I could tell my son right now, life isn't about stuff. At some point, he's going to try to get stuff. He's like, where's the dinosaur? I'm coming for it. <laughs> that's just how life is. It takes a little while for you others to learn that. Now, really wise people can learn from other people, but some of us, man, you know, we were born hard-headed, and we probably going to meet the Lord the same way. <laughs> He's going like, I tried. You know, God's kindness surpasses that of Esau's. God is 100% more kind than Esau ever could be. And because of that kindness, people like Jacob and all of us could change. You know, kindness, the kindness that God has is he gives it without regard to the worth of the recipient. Here's what I mean. It don't matter what you've done, he'll show you kindness. Let's look at this. This this passage always makes me struggle because it's good and it's right, but it's also really challenging for me swimming in this culture. Luke um, chapter 6, verse 35. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemy, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Seriously, you know? I could be kind to certain people. Ungrateful people make me struggle. I worked at Starbucks. I ran into a lot of ungrateful people. (laughs) Made me struggle. Wicked people too, but something about ungrateful people made me struggle a little bit more, man. And yet, if the world sees more and more kindness, how transformative would that be? You know, it's really important that we understand that God's kindness is... Let's look at, let's look at Luke chapter 7, verse 41. I think this is, this is really important. I was going to just quote it, but we're actually going to read it. Luke chapter 7, verse 41. It says, um, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, Richard them will love him more. Simon, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt, forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. Those of us who experience God's kindness, 
are very much like the woman who came into Jesus' presence and she was weeping and she was doing all these things. It just, there's something powerful. And yet both parties had their debts forgiven. I did the math. So Portland's minimum wage is $12.75. So I worked with the minimum wage. So a denarii is a wage for a day and I put eight hours. So Jesus is saying, imagine someone canceled $51,000 worth of debt and then someone canceled $5,000 worth of debt. Now, any of us in here who are any sort of debt, you cancel anything north of $500, you're already pretty fired up. You're like, thank God. Um, but he canceled $51,000 worth of debt. Why did he cancel $51,000 worth of debt? We don't get that in the story, but we see it in the story of Jesus because he does. He loves us, right? Like if someone came up to you right now, who, who has the most debt in here? Don't raise your hand. We, we're not judging your sin. <laughs> but let's just say if someone walks up to you, I want to cancel all your debt. What's the million dollar question? Why? Now, some of you, some of you, if you knew it was Jesus, maybe you'd be like, amen, thank you. But most of us in here, why? What's, what's, what's the Jesus? What are you going to do? What do I have to do? What's going on? Who are you? You get um, Sebastian to look you up on Google since he can find you. <laughs> like, is this guy legit, Sebastian? <laughs> I'm blown away he can find people online like that. <laughs> um, but it's really important that we understand that this, this is the graciousness and the kindness of God. 51K, just like that. There's another story where the guy was caught in jail and he basically forgave a million dollar worth of debt. He's like, oh yeah, I forgive it. And then the guy turned around and harangued someone for like a week's worth of money. And he's like, you don't, you don't get it. See, kindness is infectious. Kindness is actually, you know, a lot of times, especially within our fellowship of churches, we want to change the world in a loud and powerful way. And I think sometimes the Holy Spirit does that, but the most radical thing you could do in changing the world is to be kind today. Be kind to the ungrateful. Be kind to the wicked. Be kind to the people not seen. That can radically transform the city over the long haul. Yeah. And will make people ask you, why are you this way? Especially in a world that does not pay attention to that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people have recently moved into Maine. I'm one of them. Um, traffic is getting a little intense here. It's still not crazy. But it's getting a little more intense. I get a couple of birdies here and there now. I remember when I was first here, no birdies. Now, yeah, you drive by, <laughs> you're like New Yorkers. <laughs> I think they're from New York, but they may not be. <laughs> the other day, someone gave me a birdie, and I was like, man, I want to be kind. So I rolled down my window, and I'm like, oh, I apologize. I didn't see you. And they're like, yeah, you got to drive better. I'm like, yeah, thank you. Pray for me. I'm serious. Don't forget to pray for me. And then she kind of drove off. <laughs> and I just wanted to show her, like, Okay, I made a mistake and I need to show her kindness instead of, you know, the old Steve would have kept the window up or maybe I would have mean mug her like, <laughs> like bring it. <laughs> but instead, I'm like, I really want to practice kindness. I want her to end her day not saying, man, people are trying to take me off the street. People are trying to love me. Like if that dude would have made a mistake, he was trying to love me. You know, when people slander us, someone's always slandering somebody. You know, Lincoln a couple of weeks ago talked about judgment. Judgment and slander happen like 24-7. You turn on the news, they're slandering. Then you turn around and say, ain't these guys idiots? And then you're like, oh, I'm slandering too. Like, when people slander us, do we show kindness? Tough. Yeah. It's really tough to be kind. 
and say, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show kindness. I'm going to choose it. It's not easy. We're swimming upstream with this kind of stuff. Our culture has taught us, you know, someone say something bad about you. If you're weaker, you say it behind their back. If you're stronger, you say it in front of their face. You know, our spouse, we need to practice kindness with each other. You know, the pandemic, you know how many people got divorced during the pandemic? If you managed to stay married after the pandemic, fire it up. If you didn't manage to stay married after the pandemic, we're still here with you and we want to love you through that season. But it was tough and a large part of it was resentment that brewed and a lack of kindness in the home. People found that they were not kind to one another. Sometimes the way we speak of one another is so harsh and critical. Coworkers, the same thing. Roommates. You know how many roommates broke up in 2020? You know, we don't talk about the roommate breakup, but there's been a lot of roommate breakup. Like, I never want to live with you again. Children, it can be hard to be kind to children. You like everyone loves your kids, except and you love your kids too as a parent. But you know what I mean. You know, sometimes your kid is like, you know, everyone's like, "Oh, you think they're so amazing?" <laughs> you like most days, absolutely, ninety-nine percent. But that one percent is tough, man. Discipleship takes a long time and a lot of time to be formed into the person of Christ. <clears throat> So how do we become people of kindness? That's a really important thing. I wish I could do this lesson and you like, that's it. We are going to choose kindness moving forward. Yeah. I thought for a long time that's how it worked. You hear a sermon, everyone does what it says, right? Some of you still think that's how it works, right? You're like, you should preach about it. I'm going to preach about it and that's going to transform everything, right? If that was the case, I would go from Genesis to Revelation. I'm like, now that we got that all covered, go do it. It doesn't work like that in our own personal lives. It doesn't work like that on the pulpit. Formation takes time. But so how can we start to be people who practice spiritual formation? There's really no shortcut. There's none. You know, like Jacob, we need to wrestle with God. Ask him to help us be kind people. We got to see the need to be kind. I think some of us default. We're like, I'm not a person of conflict, so therefore I'm kind. That's not necessarily true. To not be a person of conflict is not the same as being kind. You know, I think we need to practice personal lament when we're not kind. That needs to cut our hearts. We're like, oh, I didn't choose kindness in this moment. I was not kind in this moment. You know, the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, that is a cry out to lament because that's, that's recognizing the kingdom has not come. And in the area of kindness, maybe you look into the mirror and be like, it has not come yet. It has not come. <clears throat> and so... The areas where <clears throat> discipleship will occur. A, the Holy Spirit gives us kindness. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? So we need to work in conjunction and yield with what the Spirit is doing in our lives to act and practice kindness. Then, again, spiritual discipline. The act of kindness. Some of us need to just be kind even if we don't feel like it. You do that long enough, eventually you become a kind person. So you just turn around, okay, I'm going to be kind. Waitress, messed up your food, you're discouraged, everyone kept you waiting for an hour, and you want to leave that 1% tip. You go up to 15% in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, you get your 15%. <laughs> and you walk out of there, and you're like, I feel like they didn't deserve anything. And you're like, amen, me too. Have that apocalypse moment. I didn't deserve anything, they didn't deserve anything, and yet we both experienced God's kindness today. And in those apocalyptic moments, slow down, slow down, and be like, wow, I can't believe I wasn't kind. Like, wow. You know, like sometimes I can react in the moment. If you catch me right after a prayer time, you, it'd be hard to get me to sin. Right before? 
say like, oh, the dolphins suck. You suck, bro. <laughs> I didn't go into prayer. <laughs> you know, or stink, rather. If that word offended anyone, I apologize. Um, but it's really important that we pay attention in these apocalyptic moments. So here's what we're going to do. To live by karma or law is the complete opposite of the story that we've adopted as followers of Jesus. We live by kindness. You know, in the moments of intense hostility and resentment and rage, we show the world an alternative. Kindness. We show the world an alternative kindness with our social media. You see, kindness is transformative and restorative. The more kind we are over the long haul, we're going to transform this city, we're going to transform this world, we're going to transform ourselves, we're going to transform our homes. And you know, that's the, that's the challenging part with Christianity, right? Some basic thing, you want to be a missionary that goes out into the wilderness and find the four people who've never heard Jesus, when something as basic as just kindness can transform your entire city. Mm-hmm. Kindness. If it's 50 some odd people just today and for the rest of our times in Christ say kind, be kind, it will transform this city, believe me. We're going to break up into groups of three or four, and instead of our normal reflection, we're going to talk about what are some opportunities for kindness we see in the coming week. Maybe in your home, maybe at the workplace, maybe you're going to avoid people for the whole week, so be kind with yourself. (laughs) Like, think about the opportunities where you could be kind with yourself if you're avoiding people this next week. But we're going to break up, and then I'll I'll come back here to uh, pray for communion. So we'll break up into threes or fours. If there's an odd situation, we're not legalistic, you could go five. (laughs) Threes and fours. Let's jump into a group.